This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked me not to read an ad, so that's what I'm not doing. Enjoy the show! Welcome, one and all, to the official annual Ghost Stories episode of Blurry Foe-tober! Ha ha! Hoo ha! Pacha! Watch out! Watch yourself! I'm your host, David Flora. Glad to have you joining me for some fun, creepy tales in this seventh edition of the Ghost Stories Library. It's also the official end to 2018's Blurry Foe-tober which spilled into November because I got sick last month. So let's make it a good one, with a fine selection of spookiness gathered from the far, cobwebbed corners of the internet. I have some urban legendy stuff, chilling Reddit gems, and a poem by none other than Conan the Barbarian creator Robert E. Howard. Ever heard of him? So sit back, turn the lights off, Kiss your dog and pet your loved one. It's time to spin a yarn or two. Halloween decorations. It was Halloween, and a young man named Robert was driving home from work. Every house he passed was decorated with Halloween props like carved pumpkins, plastic skeletons, black paper bats, and witches on broomsticks. It reminded him of all the fun he had as a child, going from house to house, trick-or-treating. Distracted by all the Halloween decorations, he missed his turn-off and had to take the long way back to his house. The light was beginning to grow dim, and the road was filled with twists and turns. As he came around a sharp corner, his car skidded on some loose gravel. He lost control, and his car slid off the road and plowed into a ditch. For a few moments, Robert was dazed, and just sat in his car, trying to regain his senses. After making sure he wasn't hurt, he got out and surveyed the damage. Apart from a few scratches, the car looked fine. The problem was, the car was stuck in the ditch, and the rear wheels were raised a few inches from the ground. He'd have to call a tow truck. Robert checked his pockets and discovered, to his dismay, that he had left his cell phone at work. He was in the middle of nowhere, and he had to find a phone. He waited for a few minutes, but when no cars passed by, he decided to start walking. About a mile down the road, he finally spotted a house in the distance. When he came to the gates, there was an old, rusted truck sitting in the driveway. The door of the truck was wide open, swinging in the breeze. 
There was nobody inside, so he continued on up to the house. It was a dilapidated old building, and some of the shutters were hanging off the windows. There was an eerie silence about the house. The only thing he could hear was the beating of his own heart and the low whistle of the cold October wind. Every now and then, a weather vane on the roof creaked as it swung around. Robert knocked on the door a few times, but there was no answer. He was about to give up and try to find another house, when he noticed something unusual. On the other side of the house, there were some Halloween props and decorations. One of them was a rocking chair with a ragged scarecrow sitting in it. The scarecrow was wearing a skeleton mask, and as he got closer, he noticed a putrid smell. Stopping in his tracks, he stared at the scarecrow. Something didn't look right. Between the clumps of straw, he thought he could see something that looked like human skin. Filled with a strange mixture of fear and curiosity, he slowly reached out and pulled at the straw. As it fell apart, he was horrified to discover that, beneath the straw, there was a dead body. The skin was purple, and it was decomposing. Robert was still trying to recover from the shock when he heard footsteps coming from the back of the house. Who's there? said a voice. An old man emerged from behind the house, and as soon as he spotted Robert, he started in surprise. Who are you? What are you doing here? he cried. Robert was trembling. There's a dead body, he croaked. The old man rushed over and examined the scarecrow. Pulling at the straw, he revealed the disgusting face of an old woman. Millie! shouted the old man. Millie! What happened? He turned to Robert, his eyes filling with tears. Help me carry her into the house! he cried. Robert didn't know what to do. The man lifted her by the shoulders and Robert picked up her feet. Together they carried her up the front steps and into the house. They brought her into an empty room and laid her body down on the cold wooden floor. Stay here while I go call the police, the man shouted. Before Robert had a chance to reply, the old man was hurrying down the corridor. Robert stood there, still shaking, staring down at the dead woman lying at his feet. After a while, he looked around and realized that there was no furniture. The house seemed to be completely bare and it was covered with cobwebs. There weren't even any light bulbs in the fixtures. He waited and waited, but the old man never returned. After 20 minutes had passed, he decided to try and find the old man. As soon as he walked down to the corridor, he saw the phone. It was lying on the floor at the end of the corridor, and the line had been ripped out of the wall. With a growing sense of unease, he cautiously explored the rest of the house. There was no sign of the old man. Robert began to panic and ran out the back door. He didn't know where he was going, he just kept running. After about half an hour, he came to a small general store that lay at the side of the road. Bursting into the shop, sweat pouring down his brow, he begged the shocked young woman behind the counter to call the police. She asked him what was wrong, but he was so out of breath that he couldn't answer. 
Exhausted from all the running, he sat down on the floor and tried to calm himself. When the police arrived, Robert told them what had happened. He got into the back of the patrol car and directed them back to the old dilapidated house. The police officers went into the house and spent 20 minutes searching it from top to bottom. They didn't find anything. There was no dead body and no old man. The house had been vacant for years. The truck in the driveway had been abandoned almost a decade ago. Robert kept insisting that he had seen the dead body with his own eyes. He gave a description of the old man to the police, but it was clear they didn't believe him. A few days later, Robert went to the police station and asked if they had come up with any information about the old man. The police officer gave him a strange look and said, Actually, we did. We checked the property records to see who owned the house, and we did a little asking around. That's great, said Robert. And what did you find? Well, there was an old man who used to live in that house. Seemed like he fit your description. Had a wife, too. She disappeared. Nobody heard from her again. Some people suspected he murdered her, buried her in the yard. There was never any real evidence. Just a lot of loose talk and rumors spread by the locals. Nothing concrete. Till now. Have you arrested him? Asked Robert. We'd like to, said the policeman. There's just one problem. What's that? Asked Robert. The policeman gave a wry smile and said, He died on Halloween night, 40 years ago. She found her way into my home. By W. Dalfin. Please, I... I don't know what to do. I've tried to tell my wife about this, but she's a science teacher and thanks to my history of practical jokes, she thinks I'm just kidding. There's something stalking me. I don't know what it wants, but almost every night since I started seeing it, it has terrorized me. It doesn't touch me, doesn't communicate in any sort of way, it just fills me with horror. If... If I seem to ramble, please forgive me. (laughs) I haven't slept in days. We live in the second floor of a duplex with stairs down the back of the house to the basement where the laundry machines are. There's a door at the bottom of the stairs before the door to the basement that looks out on our back porch and into the backyard. Anyway, anyway, six days ago, I was going down to the basement to bring up some laundry, and I glanced out the door as I passed. There was a figure standing at the far edge of our yard. Her back was to me, and she was just standing there, looking into the woods beyond our yard. She was dressed in nothing but a light gown. It had lots of flowing material coming off of it that was whipping around in the air slowly. The whole scene creeped me out instantly, but I I thought she might be a friend of our downstairs neighbor, so I I continued to the basement. When I came back up, she wasn't there. The next night, I went down again, and as I passed the back door, I looked outside. The woman was back. She was exactly like she was the night before, facing away, not moving. The hair on my arms and neck stood up straight when I saw her, 
I was even more creeped out when I realized she was in the same clothes as the night before. That's when I I did something I shouldn't have. I opened the back door. Leaning out, I called to her to see if she was okay. She didn't respond. She didn't make any sort of indication that she'd heard me. It was freezing cold, so I shut the door and locked it. Coming back upstairs afterward, I looked out the window, and she was gone. Again. Later that same night, I was in the bedroom getting ready to go to sleep. Everything was dark because my wife had gone to bed before me. Our bedroom looks out over the backyard, and my side of the bed faces the window, so I have to go past them to get in. As I was doing so, I suddenly got that same deep dread feeling in my stomach that I had gotten the first time I saw the figure in the backyard. Something compelled me to hesitate by the windows. My hands were shaking as I pulled the curtain back a bit and peeked through the shades into the backyard. It was a clear night, so the backyard wasn't shrouded in darkness. The woman was standing in the middle of the backyard, no longer at the edge of the woods, facing the house with her head tilted up to look directly at the window I was peeking from. I jerked away instantly, afraid she had seen me. Her face was covered in shadow and hair, but I saw her chin and nose. A sharp nose and a thin chin. Gray. Her skin looks gray. I think. Her hair is black and long. I was so scared, I I jumped into bed and covered myself with the covers. The next day, I I played outside in the snow with my four-year-old daughter. She wanted me to pull her on her sled in the backyard, but just the thought of going back there made me scared again. So, I talked her into digging holes in the snow in the front yard. That night, things went from bad to worse. Somehow, I had managed to forget about the woman. Then, in the middle of the night, my daughter started crying. Our bedroom was just across the hall from hers. I thought she might need to use the bathroom or just be having a bad dream, so I went into her room to see if she was okay. She was uncovered, curled into a ball on her mattress. I pulled the covers over her, and that's when she whispered to me. Daddy someone in my closet. Instant goosebumps. I turned my head slowly toward the closet door at the end of her bed. Normally the closet shut, but now it was open. The woman was standing in my daughter's closet. Not even when it was clear that I saw her did she move or make a sound. Just stood there and looked at me through the cracked open door. My blood ran cold when I saw her. Get up, I told my daughter. Get in my arms, quickly, quickly! She scrambled up and hugged me tightly as I walked back out of the room, watching the closet the entire time. In my mind, I imagined her throwing open the closet door and running at us, arms outstretched. I just hugged my daughter and walked backward into my room. The woman never appeared in the doorway. I heard no movement from my daughter's room. I tucked her into my bed and stood there watching the doorway to her bedroom. 
I didn't go back in, I just stood there and watched and listened. When I finally got the courage to climb into bed, I didn't sleep. Sunday, I told my wife everything. I told her about the first time I saw this woman. I told her about calling out to her and seeing her from the window. I told her that she had appeared in our daughter's closet. She told me it wasn't funny, that it was my fault for our daughter's bad dreams, and that I shouldn't encourage her to be afraid of her closet. Sunday night, my daughter called to me from her room again. Call me a coward, but I couldn't go back into that room. I called her quietly to come get in our bed, but she cried and said she was scared. I wanted to go get her, but I was scared too. I told her to pull her blankets up and cover herself. Just cover yourself, honey. You'll be okay. I prayed that that was true. I lay there, peeking over the sleeping form of my wife and out into the hallway at the closed door of my daughter's room and just kept praying. I heard her cry a little while longer, but then she went quiet and I hoped that she was asleep. Monday, I piled toys in front of the door to her closet. By that time, there was no doubt in my mind that this was some sort of ghost or apparition, but I I piled things in front of the closet anyway, you know, like a pile of toys could stop a ghost. Monday night, my daughter did not cry, but I didn't sleep. I lay there, looking at the ceiling, tense. Around 2 a.m., I heard her bedroom door creak open, and I knew something was wrong. She must be scared, I thought, so I called to her like before. Just come to me and you can sleep in our bed, sweetie. But she didn't come. I peeked over my wife. The woman was standing there in the doorway to my daughter's room. Her arms hung at her sides. Her shoulders slouched down. Her gown was dirty like it hadn't been washed in years and hung off her like torn rags. I wasn't breathing. I wasn't blinking. I just looked at her, and she looked at me, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to die. She never moved, never made a sound. I whispered, please, go away. Please, leave me alone. Please, I'm sorry. I couldn't look away. If I look away, she'll get closer. I was sure of it. If I close my eyes, when I open them... She'll be standing over me, looking at me. At some point, she was gone. It's like I fell asleep with my eyes open. I don't don't remember her disappearing, just that I was looking at the doorway, and she wasn't there anymore. Last night, I lay awake, waiting. I asked my wife to shut our bedroom door because the nightlight in the hallway was keeping me awake. It was stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. Like clockwork, I heard my daughter's bedroom door creak open. I I held my breath. Then I heard the floorboards in the hallway creaking, and I started shaking uncontrollably. I heard our bedroom door open, and I knew she was standing there, in the doorway, not moving, just looking at me. I didn't look. I couldn't. I did what I had told my daughter to do and pulled the covers over my head. I'm a complete mess. A zombie at work. I don't want to go home anymore. I think I see the woman in other places. 
a glance while driving, and I think she's sitting in the passenger seat of the truck behind me. We're standing down the street as I drive off, just sitting here at my desk. Someone passes by behind me, and I jump. (laughs) I'm afraid that if I turn around, she'll be there, waiting for me to look at her. And what if I saw her face? I don't want to see it. I don't want to see her anymore. I don't know what to do. The only hope I feel is that, for unrelated reasons, my wife is talking about moving. But our lease isn't up till May. (laughs) I don't know if I can hold out that long. Shadows in the Mirror There was once a woman who lived by herself in a quaint house in the country. Her husband had passed away about five years back, and she was planning on moving soon. One day, while packing up some of her husband's things, she noticed that the temperature dropped real low. She walked down the hall to check the thermostat, but when she got there, it showed no difference in temperature. She thought about it, but figured it must be broken. So she decided she'd call somebody the next day to fix it. When she passed the mirror on the wall on her way back, she thought she saw a movement of the shadows and the reflection. Then the temperature suddenly returned to normal, and when she looked back at the mirror, nothing was there. She shrugged and went on back to packing. A couple of days later, the temperature dropped again. Again, the woman went to the thermostat, and again, it showed no change. She remembered she'd forgotten to call someone to repair it. She promised herself she'd call somebody after she finished watching a show on TV. And when she passed the mirror again, she saw the movement of the shadows. She stopped. In the reflection, she saw a shadow, nothing but a shadow, slightly translucent, but visible. The shape was indescribable. It changed shape, like water flowing, about the size of a tall person. It stepped out from the wall behind the woman, but when she turned around to face it, there was nothing there. Now she was scared. She began to tremble. Slowly, she turned back to the mirror. The figure was still there, and closer. She screamed out, but no one came. Closer and closer, that shadow came. A few weeks later, a friend of the woman stopped by to say hello. She knocked and knocked, but there was no answer. The next day, a police officer came out to investigate, but he found nothing but a few empty boxes and the TV on. It was put down as an unsolved case. The house was soon cleaned out and put on the market for sale. For many years, the house was empty, what with all the stories going around about it. 
One day, a small family consisting of a mother, a father, and a daughter moved from the city into the house. All was well until one day the temperature dropped in the house. The daughter went to her parents and asked them what happened. They said they didn't know and went to the thermostat to see. It showed no change in temperature. They decided to call somebody. The daughter went back to playing with her dolls in her room. Had she looked up into her mirror, she would have seen a shadow peeking from behind the reflection of her bed. But just then her parents came in to tell her that someone was coming the next day to fix the thermostat and that she'll have to deal with it for a while. When they finished saying this, the temperature went back to normal. Parents said, never mind. A few weeks later, the temperature dropped again. The girl was brushing her hair at the time in front of the mirror. She saw the shadow behind the reflection as it started to creep towards her. She screamed. Her parents came in asking what happened. She told them, but they didn't believe her. She tried to make a believer, but it wasn't no use. They took her to a psychologist to get her help. When she came home, she believed it was all a figment of her imagination. She probably would have kept believing that, except about a year later the temperature dropped one more time. The girl was by herself because her parents had gone to the theater and left her alone since she was then 13 years old. She was experimenting with makeup at the time in front of her mother's mirror. She stared in terror as the thing crept out from behind the bed. She trembled, but didn't call out because she knew nobody would come. And now, as it had done before, the thing came closer and closer and closer. When the girl's parents came home, They found the house empty. Their daughter was nowhere to be found. Police report said another unsolved case. The house still stands to this day. And it's still on the market if you want to buy it. I hear it's a bargain. I found a videotape by Haunted Tape. Few details before I start my story. I live in Northern California in a small townhouse with my girlfriend. I've decided to change the names of both people and places just to be cautious. I don't want anyone going out to the beach I was at trying to dig up clues and instead find the trouble that I found. Saturday, March 26th, my friend John and I found the camcorder half buried in the sand on Stinson Beach. When I picked it up out of the sand, water leaked out from inside the camcorder. Sand was packed into every crevice and the battery pack was missing. We dried it off with a beach towel and popped the cassette drive open. There was a digital cassette cartridge inside the drive. It had a yellow plastic head and a Panasonic logo, but no label or sticker attached. Seemed like the camcorder itself was pretty much trashed, so we figured it might still be possible to recover the data on the tape itself. I had an older Sony digital camcorder at home that used the same type of tape. 
I took the tape and camcorder inside with me when John dropped me off at home later that day. I set it down on my computer desk and forgot about it for almost a week. Thursday, March 31st. John came over again next Thursday and saw it on my desk. Told him I'd forgotten about it and haven't even tried to play back the tape yet. We popped it into my Sony camcorder and hooked it up to my PC's Firewire port, opened up Roxio's video capture application, and hoped all this brand name dropping would get us some sweet kickbacks in the future. Only one scene appeared on the screen. I'll describe it to you as best I can recall. A few feet in front of the camera is a woman. Her back is to the camera and she's walking down a narrow dirt path, possibly even a deer trail. Tall, dry grass and small bushes line either side of the path. Based on the lighting, it's most likely sometime in the early morning or evening. The sky is cloudless and tinged with a soft orange color. Other than the shuffle of footsteps, the only thing that can be heard is seagulls crying and the soft sound of ocean waves breaking against the shore in the distance. She's wearing what used to be a one-piece swimsuit. The top half has been ripped or cut apart and now hangs down off her hips. She's naked from the waist up. Dozens of ugly red welts and cuts cross her back. Looks like she's been whipped or badly beaten with a stick. A length of thin rope, more like twine, has been used to bind her hands behind her back. The twine is wound so tightly against her wrists that you can see her hands have begun to turn a shade of blue from the lack of circulation. The twine's cutting into her skin and small rivulets of blood have run down her hands and fingers, dripping onto the dirt trail behind her. During the course of the scene, she only takes a few dozen steps. The clip's only 30 seconds long. Right before the clip ends, a man's voice can be heard. Are you filming? You better not be filming yet. I told you to wait until we get inside. And then the clip ends. Both John and I were unsettled by that one short scene on the tape. It seemed authentic. Someone's home video gone horribly wrong. I tried to copy the clip to my computer, but every time we played the file back, it was just a mess of scrambled green lines and no audio. John took the tape with him when he went home later that evening. He wanted to try and use his MacBook product placement and parents camcorder to see if he was able to recover the clip onto his computer. He said maybe it was just a problem with my firewire cable. It was the last time I ever saw him. Friday, April 1st. At this point, I can't think of any unusual happenings. A normal Friday workday, no different from dozens of other Fridays before it. I called John to ask about the tape, but he said he hadn't had time to look at the tape again but he was going to try and stop by his parents' house after work and borrow their camcorder for the weekend. Sunday, April 3rd, John calls me. It was in the evening, sometime after 7, I think. He sounds excited and tells me he was able to get the clip to save onto his MacBook. The video plays back, but the sound is missing. I tell him to upload the video online, but he wants more time to try and get the audio working, too. Wednesday, April 6th. Unable to get a hold of John for two days. Calls are going straight to voicemail. Finally, he calls me on Wednesday just as I'm getting ready to leave work and head home. I don't think I noticed it at the time, but looking back on events, his voice sounded odd. Like there was almost no inflection to his speech. It was flat and emotionless. I thought he was calling about the tape, but when I asked, he told me that wasn't important anymore. He said he'd found something and we needed to go back to the beach. 
takes almost two hours to drive out to Stinson from my house, and I told him there was no way I was able to get out there on a weeknight after work. And even if I could, it would be nearing dark by the time we got out there. For some reason, this seemed to make him angry. I promised I'd go on Saturday with him, but that wasn't good enough. He said he needed to go that night, that there was something very important. He kept saying he had something to show me. I asked what, but he said I had to see it for myself. Finally, he called me a stubborn a-hole and hung up. Thursday, April 7th, John won't answer my calls. His voicemail says his inbox is full and won't accept any new messages. Friday, April 8th, when I get up to take a shower in the morning, there's a small amount of wet sand spread out in the bottom of the tub. I think that maybe Sarah has only now gotten to rinsing her bathing suit out from the time we were at the beach two weeks ago, though I don't see her suit hanging up to dry anywhere in the bathroom. It's mildly puzzling, but I forget about it as soon as I leave for work. Only now do I realize that it was the start of the strange occurrences that were about to drive me into the state I am in today. Later at work, my phone chimes indicating that I have a voicemail. I hadn't noticed the phone ringing, but... This isn't entirely unusual as I don't have the best reception inside the office. It's certainly not the first time this has happened. I dial into my voicemail and it's a message from John. He sounds calm again, no hint of his previous anger. I'm going back to Stinson again tomorrow morning. Meet me there. There's something I want to show you. I finish my work and go home. I decide to tell Sarah about the tape and how it's making John act strange but when I get home, she still hasn't gotten back from work. I make myself dinner and watch some TV, and there's still no sign of her. I call her work, and they tell me she left when her shift ended at 4 p.m. I call her mom in L.A. to ask if she's heard any word from Sarah, but she hasn't and seems as worried as I am. I fall asleep on the couch watching TV. Saturday, April 9th. Sarah was still gone when I woke up Saturday morning. There's no way I can go meet with John with Sarah missing. I go online and try to find any reports of traffic accidents on Friday evening, but there's nothing. Finally, I decide to call the sheriff's department. They tell me I can file a missing person report. There's no waiting period to do so. I give them all the details and they promise to call me back as soon as they hear something. Sarah's mom calls me again in the evening. She's very upset that no one can find any trace of her daughter. Sunday, April 10th, I wake from the most vivid nightmare in the early hours of Sunday morning. In the dream, I'm sleeping in my bed, spooned up against Sarah. I wake up, and I'm freezing cold. The bed is totally soaked with nearly frozen water, and it reeks of salt and seaweed. Everything's wet, the mattress, pillows, and blankets, everything. My arms are wrapped around Sarah, and her body's just as cold as the water, possibly even colder. I prop myself up and turn on the lamp next to the bed. Sarah's asleep on her side with her back to me and I see that her arms have been bound behind her with twine. The knot is so tight that it's turned her hands blue and there's blood seeping from the cuts in her wrists. I'm paralyzed by absolute terror, the kind you can only experience in a dream. Slowly, Sarah rolls from her side onto her back and I can see her face. It's her, but she looks deformed. Her face is too broad and her nose looks flattened and smashed, almost like she's pressed up against a piece of glass. Her eyes are bright and shiny. Her mouth is locked into a terribly wide grin. There are far too many teeth inside her mouth 
She tells me there's something that she needs to show me. I wake up in an empty bed, bathed in sweat and tangled in the bed covers. I swear I can still smell the ocean. Eventually, I leave the house to get food. On my return, I notice wet, sandy footprints leading from the grassy lawn right up to my front door. There's a wet piece of twine wrapped tightly around the door handle. When I untie it, I notice my hands have been stained a dull red. Monday, April 11th. I couldn't sleep. I called into work and told him I was sick. I lay on the couch all day watching TV and I have no appetite. At some point, I must have dozed off on the couch with the TV on. I wake up and the TV's blaring noise. A local news report is on and the reporter is yelling, almost screaming his report. It's a story about hundreds of dead bodies washing up on the beach last night, all of them with their hands bound behind their backs. He looks directly into the camera, almost like he's looking right at me, and says, You need to get down to the beach. There's something I need to show you. The TV turns off. My apartment is freezing, and I can smell salt water. Tuesday, April 12th. Another night of fitful sleeping, but at least no more dreams. I'm exhausted from stress and lack of sleep. It's difficult to keep my thoughts in order. I called work and told them I was still sick. For some reason, I didn't want them to know about my missing girlfriend. In the evening, a deputy from the sheriff's department called me. He told me they found Sarah's car abandoned in a parking lot near Stinson Beach. I tried asking him more questions, but he seemed very elusive and wouldn't give me any straight answers. I hope they don't think I'm a suspect in her disappearance. He told me that I needed to meet them at Stinson first thing tomorrow morning so they could ask me some questions. I mean, shouldn't they want to question me at the sheriff's office? Before he hung up, he told me it was imperative that I be at Stinson tomorrow. He said there was something he needed to show me. I called Sarah's parents' house, and her dad answered the phone. I told him about the deputy finding her car. He said it wasn't important anymore, and that everything was going to be okay. Just make sure you meet with the deputy tomorrow morning, okay? There's something you need to see. Tuesday, April 13th. Another nightmare. God, I hope it was a dream. I'm so tired from not sleeping, it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. In the dream, I was laying in bed again. The clock said 3.28 a.m. I woke up to a soft tapping noise coming from the bedroom window. I tried to ignore it and go back to sleep. I hear the tap two more times, and then Sarah's voice. Walter, I know you're in there. Please let me in. There's something I want to show you. Walter. My bedroom window is on the second floor. I ran downstairs, my gaze locked onto the floor, afraid of what I might see outside the window even though the Venetian blinds were drawn closed. I fled into the small guest bedroom slash computer office on the first floor and locked the door behind me. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. The house is filled with the smell of seawater again, stronger than before. Wednesday, April 14th. I'm terrified and nearly mad with the need for sleep. I don't know what to do or who to ask for help. I know I can't stay locked in this room all day. I've decided to write this all down and post it online. 
Someplace where people can read it, but possibly won't take it seriously. I'm afraid I won't make it back home ever again, but I have to go down to Stinson to talk with the sheriff. He's already called twice asking me where I am, and if he shouldn't just send someone to pick me up and drive me down there. Hopefully everything will work out okay, and I'll be home later this evening. No eyes. One night when I was ten, I was asleep in bed and was woken up by my bedroom door opening and then someone sitting on my bed. I felt the graze on my leg and the bed sink as they sat. Thinking it was my mom having something to tell me, I opened my eyes only to see a pale, eyeless, just black, empty sockets boy, who seemed to be my age, sitting at the foot of my bed with his legs crossed, staring at me, or facing my direction since he had no eyes. He then reached his hand toward me, and he was holding what looked like a little black box. I was freaked out, but as I reached to grab it, He hesitantly pulled it back. I reached out further for it and said, Give it. As I did so, I blinked. And by the time I'd reopened my eyes, he was gone. The spot of the bed where he was sitting lifted back into place, but the imprint of someone sitting there was still present. I told my mom in the morning, and she was slightly freaked, but assured me I was just dreaming. Fast forward five years, I had my girlfriend over to do homework. After homework, she took a nap while she waited for her parents to pick her up. When they arrived, I tried waking her to let her know. I nudged her. She opened her eyes suddenly, already looking in the direction of the corner of the room where the wall meets the ceiling. She lifted her finger and pointed. And as fast as she woke, she fell asleep again. I attempted to wake her up again. She came to full consciousness, and I asked her what the hell that was about, and explained what she just did. She said, oh, I thought I was dreaming. But up on the wall, I saw a little boy with no eyes, just there in a, like a Spider-Man pose, staring at me. That's when I freaked out and told her the story for the first time of when I saw what I guessed was the same kid. Fast forward another five years, still with the same girlfriend, and by this time we had a two-year-old daughter. We were living in my old bedroom at my parents' house. My daughter would wake up at the same time every night and start talking. For a while, we thought it was a normal baby thing, until I noticed it was almost the same conversation every night. I playfully asked her one night who she was talking to. She responded, A little boy. He talks to me. He's nice. He's lost and looking for his mommy. I told my mom what happened the next morning. Before I got to tell her what I thought, she said, I remember when that happened to you. Then your girlfriend. I have no idea what that is. 
Neither my girlfriend or I have seen the little boy after our first encounter, but my daughter continued her nightly conversations until we got our own place later that year. A Song of the Werewolf Folk by Robert E. Howard Sink white fangs in the throat of life. Lap up the red that gushes in the cold, dark gloom of the bare black stones, in the gorge where the black wind rushes. Slink where the titan boulders poise, and the chasms grind thereunder. Over the mountains black and bare, in the teeth of the brooding thunder. Why should we wish for the fertile fields, valley, and crystal fountain? This is our doom, the hunger trail, the wolf and the storm-stalked mountain. Over us stalk the bellowing gods where the dusk and the twilight sever. Under their iron, goatish hoofs, they crunch our skulls forever. Mercy and hope and pity all bubbles the black crag sunder. Hunger is all the gods have left, and the death that lurks thereunder. Glut mad fangs in the blood of life to slake the thirst past Satan. Before the blind worms mouth our bones and the vulture's beak is grating. And that's Ghost Stories 7 for you. In a shadowy, eyeless nutshell that has to show you something. And now for the figure standing in your doorway, staring at you every time you sleep. The Pods. These are going to be a couple local businesses for you in this round of puns. Make sure to visit them often and buy local like the new optometrist that just opened up. Does your vision seem like you're seeing with two black, empty sockets? Maybe you should go to the knowledgeable professionals at No Eyes. K-N-O-W Eyes. <laughs> if you're the all-natural type and in need of some lingerie, visit the new Intimate Store, a thong of the werewolf folk. Open each full moon. And with their apparel, you'll be showing a full moon of your own. Ow! And them's puns! Hey, thank you to everyone for listening and supporting the show. I appreciate you guys taking the time to download episodes and like posts and retweet links and everything you do to keep the Blurry Photos train chugging along. 
like to give a shout out to Eric, John, Dave, Emily, Sean, Patrick, Stephanie, and Nick for dropping me a line recently with show suggestions and words of encouragement. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to give me a sparkling new five-star review on iTunes. Make sure you've liked the Facebook page as well and are following on Twitter at blurry underscore photos and Instagram blurry photos podcast. If you'd like to help me pay the bills because podcasting ain't free, consider punching the donate button on blurryphotos.org or checking out my Patreon on patreon.com slash blurryphotos. You can also buy me a coffee on coffee.com slash blurryphotos. That's ko-fi.com. I do appreciate that. You can also get yourself a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash blurryphotos. If you haven't started the journey into Stephen King's Dark Tower series, I highly recommend that. I went through all those on Audible not too long ago, and it was a fun trip. Krampus Nacht is coming up December 5th. Hope everyone escapes the birch branches and coal bags and has a fun one. And the longest night of the year, Saturnalia, is fast approaching December 21st. Make plans by clearing the calendar and visiting a thong of werewolf folk in preparation this year. And I think that'll do it for this episode of Blurry Photos and another Blurry Photober in the books. I have been David Werewolf Underwear, No Thong Cue, Flora. Till next time. <laughs>